0: Listening to the Miracle Word podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. As you saw, what we're talking about today is the biggest mistake that the church has ever made. And it affects you and it affects me. And I want to talk to you about what that is. And I love how Billy Graham in that video and in all of his ministry presented uh, the hard, cold facts about salvation and about the gospel. And of course, we're going to look at it from the word of God today. But I know that many of you have heard it this way, and and, uh, and it's going to challenge some people's thinking when I teach this today, but I'm going to show it to you from the Word of God because it needs to be understood. But notice this. The gospel message is different than Bible preaching. That's the first thing I want you to understand, and if you're watching, listen, if you just logged on, share this broadcast because it needs to be heard. But I want you to put it in the comments section, the gospel message is different than Bible preaching. That's so vital that you catch that. The gospel message is different than Bible preaching. People, hey Caleb, people say, and I know we use it as a slang term, you know, man, he was really preaching the gospel today. But I want you to hear something. The gospel message is different than Bible preaching. It should be understood, and as you're writing that in the comments section, it should be understood that not everything you preach from the Bible is the gospel. Do you hear that? Not everything you preach from the Bible is the gospel. The gospel message is different than Bible preaching. Now, it comes from the Bible, no question, but it's different than Bible preaching. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean. You can preach messages from the scripture and it not be the gospel. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that it's the gospel's a very specific message. For example, if you were to preach or do a series as a pastor, love you, Jonathan. If you were to do a series as a pastor, for example, on marriage, and you preached on marriage from the Bible, and the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and covenant relationships, I could preach for four straight weeks on marriage, and it'd be good and uplifting and needed information for the body, and it still not be the gospel because teaching on marriage is not the gospel message. I could preach, uh, I could do things on, um, I could do things on end times Bible prophecy and I could tie in the gospel, but but the story of end times Bible prophecy is not the gospel message. Elements of it are found in Bible prophecy, but that's not the gospel message. Same thing with any subject you pull out of scripture, it's needed, it's good, it's Bible preaching, but we've used this slang term for years that, you know, somebody get, got really we had a great service, the pastor really preached it, man, he's preaching the gospel, he preached the gospel. But notice, not everything that's from the scripture is the gospel message. The gospel message is a very specific message, and I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Simply put, if I were to bullet point the gospel message, this is it. It is that Jesus Christ, who is God, was born in the flesh, born of a virgin. Very important point of the gospel. He was born of a virgin. The reason that that's an important starting place is that if he was not born of a virgin, he could not have sinless blood. And be a sinless man, and then he would not be qualified to take the sins of the world upon himself, because he would be sinful like everybody else. And so the first bullet point of the gospel message is that Jesus was born of a virgin. The virgin birth is very important. And then, of course, we know the next part. He lived a sinless life throughout his entire life, lived a sinless life and fulfilled Bible prophecy, went to the cross and was obedient to the work of redemption, went to the cross and was crucified. And we just celebrated, of course, on Good Friday, the day he was crucified. And we know that when he was, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So a sinless man with sinless blood was crucified and the sins of the world were put upon his body, as well as sickness, as well as poverty and every attack of the devil. And he was crucified and finished the work of redemption on the cross, according to the book of Colossians chapter two, finished it. And then he died. The next part of the gospel is he died and was buried. And we know that after he was buried, the Bible says he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He led captivity captive, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He preached to the captives. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. That's what we celebrated yesterday. The next part of the gospel is he was raised from the dead. But it didn't stop there. The next part of the gospel is that he, 40 days after his resurrection in Bethany, ascended into heaven. God brought him back into heaven and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Not only that, 10 days later, he sent us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then, of course, the final part of the gospel message is he's coming back very soon. He's coming, I feel the anointing just outlining it for you. I hope you can, that there's just an anointing on sharing what the gospel message is. It's sad to me that many preachers, and I don't say this critically, I say it because I've been in the services or watched them online, don't have the ability for some reason to preach the gospel message and call people to Christ. They just don't. It's very it's so sad that uh, Dag Hayward Mills, who may be one of the greatest soul winners of our generation or any gener- generation, has actually put out books teaching preachers how to preach the gospel message and call people to Jesus and actually properly lead people into the kingdom of God. And so understand something, it is the gospel message that must be preached. Now, we go to the book of Romans, and I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to tell you in a moment the greatest mistake the church has ever made and how we can combat that. I love this scripture, and of course, it's very famous scripture, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. We know what the scripture says, Paul the apostle writing to the church in Rome, and he starts his letter, and at the 16th verse, which we have here says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul makes it very clear and very plain that he's not ashamed of the gospel message. Well, why would he say that? Because there were people in that day that were trying to shame others for actually declaring Jesus was alive. Do you you know that in that day, they were treating it like it was a conspiracy theory? Do you realize that the Roman guards and everybody that was supposed to be guarding the tomb and all this stuff, do you know that they actually made up a conspiracy theory? That the disciples of Jesus came in the night and stole his body out of the tomb and that's what actually happened, not that he rose from the dead because they didn't want to look like fools. And so they kept, the Bible teaches us, they came up with a conspiracy theory. So, for those that were claiming Jesus is alive, they were trying to shame those people into saying, Well, you're a nut job. You're just a conspiracy theorist. And so they were trying to shame them into saying, What you believe is ridiculous. People don't rise from the dead. You know, that you disciples stole his body in the night. And they tried to shame people for believing the gospel message. And Paul, One of the most intelligent men in the Bible, if not the most, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is. He wasn't ashamed to preach it. He wasn't ashamed to teach it. He wasn't ashamed to proclaim it. In fact, if you go to the letter he wrote, the first letter he wrote to the Corinthian church in the 15th chapter, he says to them, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then catch this, my preaching... And your faith is in vain. It doesn't even matter. So Paul, basing his entire faith on the resurrection of Christ, says to over five, well, probably at that point, maybe 300. But he said, when Jesus showed himself, it was to over 500 people after his resurrection. And he said, many of you are still alive right now. So maybe there were about 300, let's just say conservatively, that were still alive as Paul was preaching it to him. And so Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul knew that if there's no resurrection, there's no salvation. And so this verse we have, Romans 1.16, so vital you catch it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power. It is. Now catch this. What is Paul teaching them? He's saying the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. So let's stop there for a moment and understand something. There it Paul's teaching this and I'll I'll take you to another portion of Romans in a moment and give you the more full teaching. But Paul said there is no salvation without the gospel message. You see that? Paul said there is no salvation without the gospel message. And so it is the power of God for salvation. Nothing else brings salvation, according to Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. Nothing else brings salvation except the gospel message. That's it. And that's why he's not ashamed of it. Call it a conspiracy theory if you want. Say that it's, that it's crazy. Call, call, call all of us nutjobs because we believe Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. But we're not ashamed of it because we have an understanding that without that message, nobody can be saved. Nobody. And so Paul's teaching them very plainly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Now watch, if you go down a little further in Romans 1, Paul goes on to say that although some may not hear the gospel, nobody has the right to say that there is no God. You see this? Nobody has the right to say that there is no God. Go further with me. Verse 18, Romans 1:18. listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. You see that? Because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. You see that? In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Do you see that? So Paul's saying that in creation itself, There's enough evidence of his divine nature that nobody can deny. I mean, they can if they want because they have a free will, but he's saying they are unjustified in saying God does not exist. You would have to be a total fool, even considering science. You hear what I'm saying? Even considering science. Let me explain to you what I mean. If you just went by the laws of of thermodynamics... Okay, the laws of physics. The second law of thermodynamics, look it up for yourself, is the law of entropy. To give you a short explanation of what that means, the law of entropy tells us, and you know this to be true, it's not like a deep thing, that everything in nature moves from order to chaos. It doesn't move from chaos to order. The law of entropy, it's a law of physics, tells us everything in nature moves from order To chaos. Let me give you an example. If you go to the beach and you create order by going and building a sandcastle on the shore, you're creating order that builds a sandcastle. But if you just leave it where it is, you could come back a week later and if your sandcastle wasn't completely gone, it would at least be broken down where parts would have fallen off, uh, the, the the waves, the tide would have come in and started washing it away so that it just looks like a mound of sand. Well, what just happened? Even left untouched, if no other person at the beach touched your sandcastle, just the laws of nature, the wind blew at it, uh, the waves washed over it, and nature took order and turned it to chaos. Why? Because that's a law of nature. It's a law of physics. It's the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. Things go from order to chaos. All scientists agree on that. Every one of them. There's nobody that denies the laws of physics. And so understand even just by the laws of physics that we agree upon, that we agree upon in science in our generation. How could evolution even be true when we know that the laws of physics are and the the laws of science that everything goes from order to chaos, not from chaos, nothingness, into order, naturally. And an even bigger thing that people are discovering now is that DNA is a written code. You ever think about that? And scientists agree. DNA is a written code. Do you realize DNA that's viewable in science and in all things, DNA is one of the biggest scientific proofs of God that ever was. Because if it is a written code, which scientists agree that it is, anything that carries information that creates or performs or operates at any level is a written code. And if it's a written code, guess what? It must have had a writer. Written codes. Do you realize there are no nothing is codified in the natural world that you can just see nothing creates messages and code and I'm not, I'm not talking about animals that communicate with each other i'm talking about seen plainly in nature there's nothing no right you you're never gonna you're never gonna wake up in the morning and the the vines that grow outside on your tree have grown to write in cursive a message to those of you that live in the house by the vines You don't see messages normally just happening. You realize that. Anything that's codified, anything that is a a written form of communication or code has to have a writer. Even when animals communicate with each other, they're the ones sending the message to the other animals. So it's not like, you know, uh, if a lion's walking through the jungle... And a monkey's in a tree that just like a monkey sound happens somehow in the jungle so that all the monkeys know that danger is coming. A monkey, who is the communicator, begins to scream through the jungle so that all the monkeys know a lion is coming. So a communicator communicated a message. There is no naturally formed communication in nature. And so scientists even agreeing now, That DNA is a written code. There's enough to be seen in science and in nature to know that there is, you know, people that are uh, maybe, you know, anybody that's honest, right? (laughs) If you've never heard this before, anybody that's honest, there's no such thing as a true atheist. None. Because anybody that's honest has to say, I don't know. You can't just say there is no God. Because even even with scientific proof, you can't scientifically prove there is no God. So any honest atheist will say, well, actually, I'm truly an agnostic because I don't know, but I don't believe there's a God. Well, you can't prove there's not one, so you have to be an agnostic. So any honest atheist has to be an agnostic, but the truth about it is there's enough to be seen in nature that even if you don't want to call him Jehovah, even if you don't want to call him Jesus, whatever whatever it may be, you have to admit that there is a higher power than we know about that is creating these things, written code. You know, it, it's crazy. So understand this. Paul's teaching, and this is, you know, 2000 years ago, that nobody has the right to deny the fact that there is a God, that it is visible clearly in nature. It's visible. So watch this. While that's not enough to get saved, nobody, it Just just knowing that there is a God is not enough to get saved. Nobody can be in another country that maybe never heard the gospel message and looks at nature and realizes there's something happening here. Someone greater than me created all of this. It's still not enough to be saved, according to Paul. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so there's something further that's needed for people to be saved. What is it? To hear the preaching about the gospel message. So I want you to go over, flip with me just a few chapters over to Romans chapter 10, and then I want you to see this. Now, let me give you what is the greatest mistake that the church has ever made. The greatest mistake that the church has ever made is teaching Christians that God looks at the hearts of people when determining who will be saved and who will not be saved. I had I heard um I've heard people say this because you know here's one of the biggest questions. You know, one of the biggest questions that I hear people offer all the time. Well, you know, you are talking about the important. You're talking about the importance of of actually telling uh the gospel message. Okay. Well, what happens to people who never hear the gospel? And because people's hearts are soft and they obviously don't want to see anybody uh to be damned for eternity, of course, everybody should be that way. You know what they start doing? They start making up their own belief system about what they want to happen that the Bible never teaches so that they can feel better about laziness. So here's what they'll do. We'll say, what about the person who's, you know, and then they'll name someplace far off in the world. What about this person in the bush in the jungles of such and such a nation that never had the ability to hear the gospel message? What about that person? Will they go to hell? That's unfair that they'll go to hell because they never even got a chance to hear the gospel message. Well, let me just talk to you about that because then they start saying, well, what really happens is God just looks at the state of their heart. If they were searching for something, if they were searching for a higher power, then God looks at that and sees. See, they wanted to know, but they just never got a chance to know. The problem with believing that way is that you begin to teach and believe That there's a back door into heaven. What you begin to teach and believe is you don't need Jesus to go to heaven. And it's heretical, it's dangerous, and it's heretical. And what's really happened is churches have created this doctrine and this belief system, whether they teach it as doctrine or not, it's taught. I've had Christians say it to me. I have I've had preachers say it to me. Well, God looks at the nature of their heart. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. In in order for you to say that, you would have to be calling uh, uh, Paul incorrect because Paul said it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else can bring people, and I'm going to prove that to you from Romans chapter 10. I'm going to prove it to you. Listen to this. Let's start with Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you can uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Look at this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. Now, let me jump down with you to um, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. This is where it gets very, very important for you to understand. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? That's number one. Number one step, how can you call on someone that you don't believe in? Number two, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? You can't believe in Jesus and his saving power if you've never heard of Jesus. Paul's making that point right now. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's number three. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's number four. And you, you see how Paul's breaking it down? He's breaking it down methodically. First of all, preachers must be sent. That's called the Great Commission. Jesus already did that. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't believe will be damned. And so understand something, that uh, that's already happened. Preachers have been sent. But notice, it is the free will of the preacher that has to make up their mind, I will obey the commands of the Great Commission. Once the preacher is sent, they begin to preach the gospel. Once the gospel is preached, the people who hear it can now believe in the gospel and believe the message. And then finally, they can accept Christ as the gospel touches their heart and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and the Holy Ghost draws them to the Father and then grace, it, 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 takes, its, it, it takes its final uh, place or mission in their life. So you understand it cannot happen without the gospel. And when people begin to teach that you can be saved outside of the gospel, then they start to teach Christ is not needed for salvation. Well, God just looks at their heart, even a person who's never heard the word, who's never heard the gospel in some far off nation. No, the real truth of the matter is, is that the church has been lazy in doing what she's been called to do And as a result, the gospel has not gone to every person as it's supposed to. And if people end up going to hell because they don't hear the gospel, it will not be God's fault that they're there. It will be the church's fault that they're there. You realize that that's why that we will have, that's why we're given rewards in heaven for obeying the commands of God. And that's why some of the things that we do, which pass through the fire are burned up as chaff and they are, they're not eternal glory. They're not eternal reward. Why? Because some of the things that we've done uh, mean nothing in eternity, but when we do the work of Christ and we do things that are worthwhile in eternity, it passes through the fire and comes out gold on the other side. We'll lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. Why will we be given crowns? Why will we be given rewards in heaven? For obeying the things that Christ told us to do. What happens to a person who never hears the gospel? They go to hell. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair to me. God's a just God. He would never allow that to happen. His justice was satisfied in sending Jesus to the earth. You realize God didn't have to send Jesus to the earth ever. There's nothing we could have done or we did that made God send Jesus. It's by grace through faith. The grace part is he had grace on us. He had mercy and faith on us, uh, mercy and favor on us. And so when he sent Jesus, that was his sovereign decision. He didn't have to do it. Jesus did not have to come. God did not have to send him. But because he loved the world so much, he sent his only begotten son, knowing that not everybody would be saved. God knew that. God knew that not everybody would be saved. You think God didn't know? Of course he knew. That's why Jesus even said things like the way is straight and it's a narrow path and few there be that find it. Jesus didn't say many there be. He said there'll be only a few people that will find the way into heaven and into the kingdom of God. Not many. So God knew ahead of time that many, many people would not change their ways, would not come into the kingdom of God, would not believe upon Christ and would be damned. He knew it, yet he still sent Jesus Christ and he didn't have to. He didn't have to, but because he loves us, he did it. That's why the Bible says, by grace, are you saved? The the grace part is, the grace part is he didn't have to do it at all. But by grace, his grace was shown to the world by sending Jesus Christ. But then see, after he sent Christ, after he sent Christ, Christ gave us a command. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Make sure you're preaching everywhere you go. What what are we preaching? The gospel of Christ. Jesus came, born of a virgin, sinless life, took your sins upon him. Now, let me break something down because there's obviously, um, there's a massive difference in the body of Christ between what people believe about salvation. You know, for example, you have the reformed believers, those that don't believe that Christ died for everybody. And that is a position that some take. You know, there are are many Christians who don't believe Jesus died for everybody, but that he died only for his elect people, those that God predestined from the uh, beginning of the world. And let me just say this is an argument between people that believe in free will and people that believe in predestination that has gone on for you know hundreds of years and that there's never been I've seen people extremely intelligent and godly on both sides of the debate that have scriptures to back up their script what they believe and sit there and debate it and at the end there's no answer because there's scriptures on both sides that God himself chose Because he, you know, he predestined a people for himself. And that when Christ came, Christ's blood was only shed for the ones that God predestined for himself. And that when the Bible says, you know, for example, when Jesus said, the the ones that my father has put in my hand, I'll not lose one of them. I'll not lose one of them. That the blood of Jesus was only for uh, the elect of God that he predestined. Then there's those of us that believe that it, the, the death of Jesus was for everyone, but not everybody will receive it. It's received by faith, but not everybody will receive it. So watch this. Whether, whether or not, you, it doesn't matter which side of the line you stand on. You could be an Arminian and believe in free will. You could be a Reformed Calvinist and believe in predestination. It doesn't matter because you want me to tell you something? One thing they both agree on unequivocally is that the gospel has to be preached for anyone to be saved. That's it. Both both of those. It doesn't matter if you're a reformed believer and you believed and you believe in predestination and, the, and God's elect and no one outside the elect. If that's your belief system, I've got no problem with you as long as you're preaching the gospel and living holy. If you're on the other side of the debate and you believe in free will and, and you believe in synergistic salvation that you play a part and God plays a part I've got no problem with you as long as you're preaching the gospel and living holy. But bottom line is this. Both sides of the debate believe that in order for someone to be saved, they must hear the gospel message. The only difference is this. The only difference is this. People that are reformed believe, Calvinists, that if you are one of the people God chose to be saved, when you hear the gospel preached, you will believe it and you'll not be able to resist the grace that's being delegated to you through the gospel message. You won't be able to resist it. You will be saved. You cannot resist it. It's impossible because God predestines you not only to hear the gospel, but to be saved and believe it. So you will believe it. That's called monergistic salvation. It's the, the, the belief that all of the steps of salvation lie with God and none of them lie with men. But then on the other side, which is where I stand, is what we call synergistic salvation, which means that we believe that we can preach the gospel and people can hear it, but there are some that can choose to reject the gospel message and some can choose to believe it. And their faith or their belief in this message is what determines salvation. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Obviously saying that if you don't, you'll be damned. Now, whether... I don't I don't get super dogmatic about this because as I said, this is something that has raged for hundreds of years. And in, in in if you study it honestly and if you're honest about the study, it doesn't matter. I know people will act like it does. If you look at what Christ commanded us to do, it actually doesn't matter. Because think of it from this standpoint: whether you believe in God's elect or whether you believe that everybody has the opportunity to be saved. All of us are still required to preach the gospel to every creature. That never changes. You know, if a reformed person is asked, well, then if you believe it's all predestined, why do you still preach the gospel? And their answer always is because the Bible commands us to preach the gospel. And as Christians, we're to obey the Bible. As a, a reformed person who... who or, as a free will person, an Arminian that believes in synergistic salvation, they say, Why do you preach the gospel? You say, Well, if we don't preach the gospel, people will never hear it. And they won't have a chance to be saved. Both people believe the same thing, it's just differences of why they do it. Go on further than that. I mean, uh, whether you believe that uh, you have the ability to uh, interact with God and your faith, uh, locks the salvation in, or whether you believe that it's God alone who does all of it on the behalf of, behalf of his elect, doesn't matter. Because both sides of the spectrum believe that in order to go to heaven, you've got to continue living holy until the end of your life or until Jesus comes. The, the, those that are reformed, those that are Calvinists, call that the perseverance of the saints. That if you're truly saved, you will continue in acts of holiness and righteousness until you die or until Jesus comes. Those that are on the other side like me believe that you have to live holy, (laughs) that you have to take actions of holiness and righteousness until you die or until Jesus comes. Both sides believe that. They both believe. Neither side believes that you can just get saved and then just live however you want until Jesus comes and you're still going to heaven. That's a whole different crowd of people called hyper grace. And they're not reformed, nor are they truly Pentecostal or charismatic. Because nobody believes, nobody that has orthodox understanding of Christianity believes that you can live any way you want to live and still go to heaven. Nobody believes that. Pentecostals and Charismatics believe that if you get saved and then you go back into living in sin and unrighteousness and turn your back on God, they believe you've lost your salvation, that you backslide. People that are Reformed Calvinists believe that if you get saved and and whatever, you convert, but you go on living however you want to live and living in sin and living in unrighteousness, their belief is you were never really saved. You were not one of God's elect because one of the things that will prove you were is acts of righteousness and acts of holiness until Jesus comes or until you die, the perseverance of the saints. So both believe the same thing. They just believe it for different reasons, but they both believe it. You've got to live for God. You've got to live for Christ. Jesus is coming and you've got to live for him. You need to hear the gospel to be saved. Both sides believe that. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Both sides believe the same thing. So you understand that. We we, we both understand that it takes the gospel to be saved and we both understand that we have to live for Christ with all of our hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Same thing. Love your neighbors yourself. Those things have to be obeyed. So without you don't have to get into a debate. All you need to understand is we both believe sinners need the gospel. It's just the way we believe how they'll react to the gospel. But that's not our job anyway. It's not my job. Pentecostals believe this. Reformed Calvinists believe this. It's not our job to make people respond to the gospel. It's not any Christian's job to do that. No Christian. Our job is only to preach the gospel with boldness and to let people know the message of Christ. And then, whether, depending on what side you fall on, they will then, they will then, whether you believe God will monergistically pull them into the kingdom because of the fact that they are his elect and they can't resist his grace and they'll come in, or you believe like a synergist does that they'll believe the message of the gospel and by faith choose to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart God raised him from the dead and they come into the kingdom. But neither side believe that it's our job to force people to believe. You can't force people to believe, nor can you debate somebody into the kingdom of God. And one of the worst things that's ever been taught to believers is that when people don't hear the gospel, they somehow get this other judgment from God where, you know, well, I'm I'm just going to look at their heart and see how they felt towards my creation. God doesn't do that. That's the whole reason he sent Jesus. They've got to have Christ as their savior if they're going to be in heaven. There's no way around. Notice, do, do you remember what Jesus called himself? What is one of the names that Jesus gave to himself? He said, I am the door. The door. If you're coming, remember this, if you're coming into the kingdom, you must come through the door. You must. There's no, um, I remember when I was growing up, there was an old gospel song that we used to sing in church. It was like, God's got a way that you can't go over. God's got a way that you can't go under. God's got a way and you can't go around it. Oh, you must come in at the door. That was the song we sang. You must come in at the door. That's the gospel. Jesus is the door. He is the door. There's no way to the Father without the door. You've got to come through the door. There's no back door into heaven. Nobody else is the door. You've got to come in through the door who is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. That's what he said. That's what he said. And so understand, when we start to teach people, see, because what ends up happening is we minimize the importance of preaching the gospel. That is so dangerous to minimize the importance. why I'm warning you on a Monday, on a brand new week, because this is one of the most dangerous things. And what sparked it in my spirit is I see again, you know, even during this, uh, this coronavirus COVID quarantine, and you hear people that just want to, I've, I've heard people get on, you're doing the wrong thing. What, what you should really be doing is just spreading a message of hope that we're going to get out of this one day. That's no hope. The hope is that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, that there is a heaven And there is a hell. And before you die, you'd better be ready to see Jesus when he comes or when you die. The true thing that needs to be done is that there is an urgency. Now, let me get into the final part of this because I want you to hear it. It is dangerous for people to minimize the importance of the gospel message. I'm saddened personally. If I go to churches, you know what saddened me? Forget pastors, forget all that. Let's just talk about where I'm at. I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. That's what God's called me to do. And one of the things that saddens me, I was just speaking with a pastor who's an extremely intelligent man. Built His church is growing, building his church, just preach for him. And he told me a few years ago, when I first met him, you know what he said to me? He said, man, it is so refreshing to meet an evangelist that is still willing to give altar calls for the lost. I thought to myself, what, what are you talking about? Because, you know, I don't not, not, I'm not saying a high, high mind or whatever. I I don't associate with people that, you know, first of all, I just don't associate with people that don't, that aren't serious about what God's called them to do. But he says to me, he goes, man, it's so refreshing to, to talk to an evangelist. And to see one in action that still uh, gives altar calls at the end of their preaching for people to be saved. I thought, what? He said, oh, yeah. He said, the last uh, few evangelists that we've had uh, into our church to preach and to hold meetings and stuff, he said, none of them give altar calls anymore. I said, what? He said, yeah, they don't really preach on salvation and give give an altar call to be saved. They preach on other stuff. I thought, well, then they're not an evangelist. Because in the Bible, of course, Philip being one of the only examples we have in Christ, you know, an evangelist to evangelize, they're going out and they're preaching the gospel message. We know what Philip did in Samaria. He preached the gospel of Christ to those in Samaria, saw signs and wonders and healing miracles and deliverances from demonic possession. And the people were saved, they were healed, and then the apostles came and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So three things that should be, should be seen in the ministry of an evangelist. You should see conversions and salvation. You should see healing miracles and you should see demons being cast out along with healing miracles. And you should see people getting baptized in the Holy ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But he told me, he said, they won't do that. He said, they, a lot of guys now, they just don't, they won't give altar calls. They will, And it's like, Whatever you may think about an actual altar call and people coming to an altar to pray the prayer of salvation and to, uh, you know, whatever you may think about that method. Cause I know there's people that don't agree with it, but you know, the Bible says that if you'll confess me in front of men, then I'll confess you before my father in heaven. But if you deny me in front of men, then I'll deny you in front of my father in heaven. So one of the reasons we give altar calls as we've preached the gospel is because we're giving people an opportunity to make a public declaration in front of witnesses, men and women that are sitting in the chairs or pews. They're coming forward. What are they doing? They're separating themselves from the crowd to make a clear distinction. Today, I am answering the call of the Holy Spirit. Today, it doesn't matter which way you believe. Reform Calvinist, free will Arminian doesn't does not matter how you believe whether you believe that they could not resist the grace that was coming to them and they're making that decision today or you're a free will and you, I'm standing up by faith and saying I believe the gospel doesn't matter what you believe they're making a public declaration in front of the assembly that today everything is changing I'm moving from death to Unto life, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious Son. I am moving, I'm transitioning today. And that is the point that we're making. You've got to publicly declare and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And so you understand. It's very important that you make a distinction. What's the distinction? I'm confessing in front of men, just like the Bible says. I'm not ashamed. One of the things my uncle Tiff has said for years that I really, I really like. You know, he he said there's a. It's it's very, it's 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 horrible to see what we would call camouflage Christianity. What is camouflage Christianity? Everybody just stay in your seat. Everybody put your head down. Nobody look around. You know, I want. I want you to just, you know, everybody back here, close your eyes. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. Camouflage Christianity. You know, don't get out of your seat. If you pray this prayer, you know, even you can just say it under your breath or say it in your heart, whatever's whatever you're comfortable with. You know, people give altar calls like that if they even do anymore. You know, nobody looking around. We don't want to embarrass anybody. Embarrass anybody. Let me just say something to you. If you, if you, if you, <laughs> And and I love that camouflage altar calls lead to camouflage Christians. So what what ends up happening? Everybody, we don't want to embarrass anybody. So just bow your head and close your eyes, and you know I want everybody. Even if you just pray it in your heart, you know God hears your heart, and you don't have to say anything. I mean literally, that's that's where we've gotten because we don't want to embarrass anyone. We don't want there to be any uncomfortable feelings in the congregation. And so what happens is you've got camouflage altar calls, which produce camouflage Christians. So I always say it this way, if you can't live for Christ in a a room full of people that want you to, you'll never do it in a world full of people that don't want you to. Think about that. If you can't live for Jesus in a room full of people that want you to live for him, you'll never do it in a world full of people that don't want you to do it. There's gotta be a boldness. That's why many times if I'm giving an altar call, I've done it many times where I'll say nobody looking down, nobody closing your eyes, nobody bowing your head. I want everyone's eyes up and everyone looking around. Because when we do this, it is not a moment of embarrassment. It's a moment of victory and joy. People are moving from death unto life. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Listen, say, well, then we'll know who the sinners are in the congregation. Let me give you a heads up. We were all sinners. All of us. Nobody that's going to heaven was never a sinner. (laughs) All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's born in uh, iniquity and unrighteousness. Nobody's nobody's right. Every person's righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why that he became our righteousness and we can have him as our righteousness. There's nobody in the congregation that didn't have to say the prayer, that didn't have to stand at the altar. It is a baseline fundamental truth. Everybody was a sinner. So there's no no reason for people to be embarrassed when they come to the altar. Every other person in the room that's not coming to the altar had to come to the altar at one point in their life. And we want you to come to the altar. And we love you. We're not here to condemn you. We're not here to, you know, sit here and say, I can't believe hell hasn't opened up under your feet and sucked you down into the fl-. No, we want you to be saved. We want you to be transferred into the kingdom of, of light. We want you to be. Not against you, we're for you. And so it, we've, been, we've given it a bad rap. Altar calls, calling people to Christ. Well, we don't want anybody to embarrass, be embarrassed. Good. They can be comfortable all the way to hell. Well, brother, you know, we don't really do altar calls because that's kind of an awkward moment. You know what's going to be more awkward is when they wake up in hell and wonder, how come they never called me to Christ? Why did they never tell me about this? Why did they never warn me? Why did they never give me an opportunity to have what they had? That'll be awkward. Don't talk about awkward. Well, we don't want people to be uncomfortable. Let me tell you what's more uncomfortable than walking to the altar in front of hundreds of people. Burning in hell for eternity. That's awkward. And that's uncomfortable. And we have gotten so narrow-minded in the body of Christ that we've put the comfort of people in a church service above their eternal soul. Fools. Fools have done that. Fools have crept into the body of Christ and preached a message of comfort, which Jesus never preached. He didn't preach a message of comfort He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, you'll be hated all over the world for my name's sake. That's what Jesus taught. Not that you'll be comfortable with the antichrist spirit walking through the world. No, he didn't teach that. He said, you'll be hated all over the world for my name's sake. He said, if they hated the master of the house, they'll hate you too because of me. You'll be persecuted for my name's sake. Of course that's happening all over the world. Now we're getting a small taste of it in the United States. And we're going to find. We're going to find out why. We're going to find out who. I may play the prophecy tomorrow. I prophesied this uh, back last year in the fall. I prophesied it in West Virginia. That something was going to take place in 2020 where God was going to allow everything that was not him to be torn down. Everything that he was not in. Everything that was flesh built, he was going to allow to be torn down. And he said, and I, I prophesied this in the fall, that you're going to see a group of people that God was in, that they were obedient to him. He'll lift them up head and shoulders above the rest. And some of them you will never have heard of before. And I believe the time we're going through right now is actually a pruning time that we're going to see who's truly on the Lord's side and who's not. We're going to truly see who stands up for the kingdom of God and who does not. And I truly believe this is God fulfilling what he said he was going to do without question. And one of the biggest lies that's been spewed in the church is that the gospel is not important. And we've preached a message of comfort and we've preached a seeker sensitive message and we've never preached against or about sin. When I was growing up, they used to preach about sin all the time. Some of you are watching me that grew up in church. You remember you can remember when they preached against sin and preached repentance that you've got to come to Christ. Change, you've got to, your life must be changed. Now they don't. No matter what you've done. You know, it's not about what you do that brings your salvation. It's all about what he did. You know, let me tell you something. If you're going to receive what he did, it will change what you do. Because what he did changes what you do. If you're watching, put it in the comments. Put it in the comments. What he did changes what I do. I want you to write that. Every person watching YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. What he did changes what I do. Pop it in. What he did changes what I do because I don't live the way I used to live. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I don't go where I used to go. I don't do what I used to do. What he did changes what I do and that's the key my life is not the same as one old country preacher said now I walk right talk right and spit white (laughs) don't even rub snuff or chew tobacco anymore I walk right talk right and spit white what he did changes what I do so anybody any nut job that's out there preaching it's not about what you do it's about what he did if you truly believe that, you don't understand the Bible. You don't understand the Bible. Repentance does not mean you just said sorry. Repentance means you changed your direction and went the other way. To repent, changed your direction and went the other way. What he did changes what I do. What does that mean? It means my life's not like it used to be. It's that the the prayer of salvation was not fire insurance. So I just don't go to hell, but now I can still live any way I want. Listen to me. And I I grew up thinking different because nobody truly taught me what Reformed Calvinists actually believe. We taught, you know, that they believed once saved, always saved, meant that you could live any way you want and you were still a Christian. And it's not what they believe. And it's not what Pentecostals believe either. Even Baptists that are Calvinists or Presbyterian, Reformed Presbyterians believe that when you are saved... The proof of your salvation is your perseverance in righteousness and holiness, right actions, right living. Jesus said, You'll know them by their fruit. Pentecostals believe the same, and charismatics, that if you are saved, the proof of your salvation is that your life has changed. That's why they believe that you can backslide, because if you quit living for Christ and you go back to an old way of living, getting drunk, getting high, sleeping around, whatever it might be, that you've lost, you walked away from what God did in your life. It's different on the other side of the aisle. Those people just believe you were never truly saved in the first place. But both agree that what he did changes what you do. No question about that. Changes what you do. And it's very important, very important to know that this word must be obeyed. And I'm telling you now, the reason I'm preaching this to you today on a Monday as we start this new week after the Passion Week is that now that all those things that have happened, thank God for them. People were saved this weekend. Thank God they were. I got messages. People were saved in the parking lot ministry. People were saved as we had all these things happen online. We had people contact the ministry. People were saved. Thank you, Jesus. But now that we understand what's going on, it's important to know, important to know That this message, I'm praying that what this does for you today is that this puts an urgency, love you, Tanya. This puts an urgency in your spirit to not be one of those people that um, just coasts through life on cruise control, that literally just sits there and says, Well, you know, if God's going to save him, he'll find a way to get it done. No, God's put specific people in your life. I call them your circle of influence. You see them daily. Sometimes you see them weekly, but they're people I'll never meet. They're people I'll never know. They won't hear it from me. They'll hear it from you. And that's why there's going to be an urgency in your spirit. Jesus imparted this urgency into his disciples in the gospel of John chapter nine and verse four, when he said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day for the night is coming where no man can work. No man. No man can work. What does that mean? The gospel is a limited time offer. It will come to an end. There will come a time where the countdown ends and Christ will come or people will die and there will be no other help for them. There'll be no other opportunity. Once people die, there's no way to change their eternity, regardless of what Catholic people teach. Once people die, there is no way to change their eternal destination and again once the rapture takes place those who had an opportunity to be saved those that had an opportunity to be saved before the rapture we know what Paul taught they'll not have another opportunity to be saved after in fact God will cause a strong delusion to come upon them and they will believe a lie so that their judgment can come for the rejection of Christ's sacrifice So I'm just telling you, this is a limited time offer. Once this life ends, there's no other hope and there's no other help. It should burn like a fire in your belly that people must hear the gospel before it's too late. Those that are on their way to hell need the message of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not ashamed of it. I am not ashamed to preach it. I'm not ashamed to call people to Jesus. I'm not ashamed that some might be uncomfortable with walking out of their seat. Good. Sin should feel uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God. Sin should feel uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God. Without question. I want you to write that in the comments, those of you that are watching. Sin should feel uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God. Hallelujah. And it should. I'm praying and I'm going to pray for you in a moment that this fire would catch in your spirit. That before Jesus comes, we would see the power of God at work. We would see the power of God at work in every one of our lives and ministries. We would see our friends come to Jesus. We'd see our loved ones saved before it's too late. That is that is the goal that this fire burns in us like I'm talking like a bonfire that's we can't we can't let go of the message we can't stop sin should feel uncomfortable in the presence of a holy god no question about it and so I want to pray for those of you that are watching right now those of you that are listening that god, that the lord would touch you that the lord would change you even if you were in a place right now where you you, you felt uh, like you were coasting through life, that this fire would catch in your spirit, that you'd understand that the gospel must be preached before Jesus comes. Your loved ones, your friends, those that you see on a daily basis, they must hear it from you. Don't wait on your pastor. Don't wait on an evangelist. You've got the power of God. You were called to preach the gospel. So I want you to bow your head, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person watching the broadcast or listening on the podcast right now, that in Jesus' name, you would put a new boldness from the Holy Ghost in our spirit to preach this gospel around our workplace, our family reunion, wherever we are, wherever we go. That there would be such a burden for the lost in our spirit that we can't walk past or spend time with those that don't know Jesus without sharing the true gospel and love of Christ with them. Give us an urgency in our spirit and a compassion for those that are without Christ. An urgency in our spirit and a compassion for those that are without Christ. In Jesus' name, don't let us be nominal Christians. Don't let us be those that are, are like everybody else that are barely getting by. Let us be the on fire remnant that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. And we praise you that from this day forward, everything's changing. Everything's changing. Not only are we set on fire, not only do we have a new boldness, but we're gonna be new in this day. We're gonna be newly impactful in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody that's watching me, you say, well, I'm, I'm one of those that you're preaching to. That if Jesus came today, I wouldn't be ready to see him. I don't know. My life, there are things in my, my life that are not, not right, keeping me from serving the Lord. I want those of you that are watching or listening to pray this prayer of salvation with me right now. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I ask you now, Forgive me of my sin, make me new. I confess Jesus is Lord and I believe you raised him from the dead. In Jesus' name, give me the power and the boldness to live for you, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to my website, miracleword.com and I want you to click the button that says, I just got saved. I have some things I wanna send to you for free. And I want to encourage you to take next steps with Jesus Christ from this day forward. We love you very much. Those of you that are watching me, in just a second, I have a video that I'm going to show you that'll make you laugh. But I want to encourage those of you that are watching, if you've not done so today, I want to encourage you to sow a seed. You know, one of the things that we're talking about, as we're preaching this gospel around the world, last week twice, I got the opportunity to preach to over 80 million plus homes, potentially. Who knows how many people living in those homes? Let's just say if there were only two, a potential 160 million people that I got the opportunity to preach to twice last week that are hearing the gospel preached. We had so many testimonies coming in from every different nation watching. Supernatural, instant healing, instant deliverance. It was so so powerful. As you're sowing, and thank you, Crystal, for doing that, As you're sowing seeds, let me encourage you about what's happening. You're sowing into a ministry that is nonstop taking the gospel to the world, taking the gospel to this nation and other nations. You're sowing into a ministry that is constantly blessing the poor. That's why we play that video at the beginning of the broadcast, because we want you to understand that one of the things that's taking place is that daily, and we're in the top of the top givers to that organization blessing the poor around the world. This is a ministry that cares about people and loves those that don't know Jesus and loves those that know Jesus. That's why we take time on the broadcast with you to teach and to preach and to stir your faith. But also, as you're sowing into this ministry, not only will you be blessed, that's a promise from scripture, but you are sending blessing to somebody else. And so today I want you to pray right now and we'll pray together, but I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And I want you to sow a seed by faith. There are people that are partnering with us all over the world. You see some of their names coming across the screen right now. Those are people that are standing with this ministry and believing God for increase. Not just in their life, increase in our generation. We're, We're declaring this generation will not be destroyed. Our generation will be saved. And when you sow, that's what you're sowing into, the power of God. The power of God. And so I want you to pray with us. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to every man and woman that's watching the broadcast. I pray you give them an instruction from heaven about what you would have them to sow as a seed financially today into this ministry. And as they sow it, we thank you that not only is a harvest coming back to their house, and this is our year of violent increase, expedited favor, but also... Others around the world will be blessed because of what they sow today. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. How can you sow a seed? Well, it's very easy. If you're in the United States, you can use Cash App. The information's on the screen. You can use PayPal. Or if you'd like to use Venmo, it's the same as the Cash App uh, username. If you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, Periscope, you can use hashtag donate in the comments. But the easiest way to sow a seed is to go to miracleword.com and click on the give button. And those of you that feel in your spirit to stand with Carolyn and with me as partners of this ministry, there's a button that says partner. You can click on that and fill out a form and stand with us on a monthly basis. Can I tell you? Thank you, Crystal. Can I tell you? One of the things that really excites me is that people are feeling the fire and understanding the urgency before Jesus comes, and not only are people partnering with this ministry, but people are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit. We've had people calling in one after the other and saying, you know, I was only I was partnered with you at $85 a month, but can you increase that? We want to partner with you at $100 a month. Some have called back and said, can you increase our monthly gift? We want to partner at $200 a month, some much more. But what we're encouraging you to do is what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. You can never go wrong following the voice of the Lord. And so for those of you that are feeling in your spirit, God has called us to stand with you in partnership. Go to miracleword.com and click that partner button. For every person that does, this month of April, we're sending you this powerful book. I love this book, The End by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. This is a book that is a comprehensive overview of Bible prophecy in the end times and it's about 530 pages. It will answer all of your questions. Phenomenal. It's the best book that I've ever read on prophecy and one of the best books I've ever read, period. This is our gift to you, those that are partnering this month at $100 or more. Um, Victoria, the Venmo username is at MWGive, just like the cash tag, except cash, cash App uses a dollar sign instead of an at sign. But for Venmo, it's at M-W-GIVE. And thank you, Victoria, for sowing a seed. Thank you to everybody that's partnering with us. For those that are standing with us, I know that we have people that are partnering at $1,000. And we're gonna, along with that book, we're gonna be sending you a genuine leather New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible, one of the best study tools out there in a single study Bible that's available right now. It's currently the best-selling uh, study Bible that there is in the United States of America, and I love to have a genuine leather. You can't find those genuine leather versions at any Barnes & Noble bookstore, uh, any bookstore. They just don't have them available, and we've gotten in touch with the the uh, publisher and had them send us genuine leather calfskin versions of... Um, of this Bible, which is, it's beautiful. It's a phenomenal tool. We're going to sign that into your family and send it to you as our way of saying thank you to everybody that's a $1,000 or more uh, this month. We love you so much. And of course, those of you that are uh, sewing as as partners this month, we're going to send you that book on the end times. It'll bless you, man. That thing is, it's one of the best books ever. I want to say thank you. Listen, I'm gonna be back tomorrow, Carolyn's gonna be with me on the broadcast tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. And uh, it's gonna be great. Thank you to everybody that's sewing today. We love and appreciate you guys so very much. And uh, I just thought something to finish the day laughing. Uh, I got a video for you as we're going out today. This is a video of worship fails. One of my my favorite things. I've had my share of worship fails. But this is just a little compilation for you guys, one of my favorite things to watch. I love you, and we'll be back with you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m., and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks to everybody that gave. Thanks for everybody that's hanging with us. We love you so much. I'll see you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.